chapter 5, verse 1. King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to Solomon when he heard that he had been anointed king in his father's palace. And Hiram had always been an ally of David. And Solomon then sent this message to Hiram. So Hiram is the king of Tyre. Tyre is right up there in Phoenicia territory. It's the one part that they have not conquered yet. They don't control. And Phoenicia is a bad, bad place. It's not good that Phoenicia is there. That should have been dealt with a long time ago. But the good thing is Tyre has made an alliance with David. And I don't mean the alliance is good, but they've treated each other well. And so Tyre, the king of Tyre, Hiram, has provided lots of supplies to David. Supplies to David to build his palace. But also, one thing you need to realize is David has been collecting supplies to build the temple of Yahweh. He's been collecting supplies to build the temple of Yahweh. And he's left these supplies to his son, David. So the Hiram-David-Solomon friendship is good in some sense because it's like, look, he's being a blessing to the world. The world is seeing him as a great person. They want to be friends with him and be allies with him, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it should be seen as bad because he's made an alliance with a bad nation and they're collecting supplies for something they were never meant to build. Solomon then sent this message to Hiram. You know that my father David was unable to build a temple to honor Yahweh because God told him not to. His God, for he was busy fighting the battles on all fronts while Yahweh subdued his enemies. But now Yahweh, my God, has made me secure on all fronts. There is no adversary or dangerous threat. So I've decided to build a temple to honor Yahweh, my God, as Yahweh instructed my father, David, your son. Sorry, David, your son, whom I will put on your throne in your place, is the one who will build a temple for, to honor me. So now, order some cedars of Lebanon to be cut for me. My servant's work will be with your servants, and I will pay your servants whatever you say is appropriate, for you know that we have no one among us who knows how to cut down trees like the Sidonians. So Solomon is working on a deal with the king of Hiram saying, my dad was never able to build a temple because he's always fighting enemies all the time. But I'm at peace. Now, one thing that's different about Solomon is he has never fought a battle or a war ever in his life. He's never had to because Yahweh has blessed him with security and borders. So that's the other thing. He has all his horses and armies, but he actually never uses them. So he says, now that I'm at peace, I want to build that temple that my dad was never able to build. Now we're going to talk about the temple later. Right now I'm just talking about Hiram's relationship with Solomon. So he says, I want to build this temple. So he says this, we don't have trees, cedars like you do. And we need good, solid, big cedars if we're going to build things. And you gave my dad lots of cedars to build his palace. I want to build a temple and a new palace. Send your tree, cut them down, send them down. We don't know how to do this like your people do. I will send some of my men up there and they can help bring the trees down. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Verse 7, when Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was very happy. He said, Yahweh is worthy of praise today because he has given David a wise son to rule over his great nation. So notice that he's recognizing Yahweh's role in Solomon becoming king and being wise. So God is using this to be a message to the world. 
Hiram then sent this message to Solomon. I received the message you sent to me. I will give you all the cedar and evergreens you need. My servants will bring the timber down from Lebanon to the sea. I will send it by the sea in raft-like bundles to the place you designate. There I will separate the logs, and you can carry them away. In exchange, you will supply the food I needed for my royal court. Tyre has cedars. Israel doesn't. Tyre wants lots of food, like Solomon is getting lots of food. So the deal is, I'll give you cedars. You give me a lot of that food that you're getting every day, those cows and lambs and that kind of stuff. But notice the exchange here. Solomon says, I will send my men up there, and they will oversee your cutting down of trees as your men do it, because your men know how to do it, and then we will carry them down. Tyre kind of adjusts that and says, my men will cut them down. Don't send your men up here. We will send them down, and then you can pick the trees you want. You're not coming into my territory. I love you, man. I respect you. I'm glad that we have an alliance. We're best buds as long as you stay in your country. (laughs) Basically, the idea is you are not sending supervisors to my company. You're right. My men know how to cut down trees better than your men do. This is my company, my factory. I don't need your supervisors there. I'm, gr- I'm willing to work out a deal and a shipment, but you're not coming into my factory and doing quality control assessments on me. That's kind of thing. Now, he says it in a nicer way because you don't want to go to war. You've got to choose your words carefully because you don't want to go to war. Hiram supplied the cedars and evergreens Solomon needed, and Solomon supplied Hiram annually with 20,000 cores of wheat as provisions for his royal court, as well as 20,000 baths of pure olive oil. So the equivalent of this is, um, this is basically one, um, uh, sorry, 100,000 gallons of wheat and 120,000 gallons of oil. So that's a lot for cedars. So Yahweh gave Solomon wisdom, and as he promised him, and Hiram and Solomon were at peace and made a treaty. There's something here that you also need to notice. On the surface, it looks like they're equals. But notice that most of the time it says that Hiram heard Solomon. But Solomon didn't hear Hiram. And Hiram said several times, sorry, Solomon says several times, I need, I need, I need. And Hiram said, I am happy to serve. I am happy to serve. But never did Hiram hear Solomon. Never did he say, I need. And never did Solomon say, I am happy to receive. This all subtly shows that Solomon is the superior king here. They're not equally matched. They're they're friends, so to speak. They have an alliance. They're doing a mutual exchange. But Solomon is pretty much saying, I'm the greater power here. And oh, by the way, I'm also going to show that by sending my supervisors to your country. Hiram responds by saying, I don't need your supervisors but please don't attack me and kill me because you're more powerful than I am. I will, I will give you, I will give you, I will give you. I just ask. And notice he doesn't say, I need food. He says, I ask that you supply me with this food. That's important to understand. Because then in verse 13 it says, Solomon conscripted work crews from throughout Israel, 30,000 men all. He sent them to Lebanon in shifts of 10,000 men per month, and they worked in Lebanon for one month and then spent two months at home. Adorinam, the same guy that we've seen before, was supervisor of the forced labor. 
Now, you notice anything there? Forced labor. One thing the narrator is telling you is he's got forced labor. And he's using forced labor. Exodus made it very clear that all work in Israel is supposed to be done by volunteers. And Exodus also made it very clear, and I'll highlight this more next week because this will be a, the temple. Exodus also made it clear that the temple has to be built by volunteers. We know that. You don't, your pastor doesn't go to your church and force people to donate and serve in ministries. They might sometimes feel desperate enough that they want to. We still don't have enough people in the children's department, okay? But you don't want people who are forced to be there. You want people with willing hearts, especially when you're building the house of worship. But Solomon has forced labor. So that right there is like, one, you're not allowed to have forced labor. Two, you're especially not allowed to have forced labor building the house of worship. But what else do you notice here? Not the numbers. Don't pay attention to the numbers. Pay attention to the actions. Ah, Hiram said, no, 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 no. Don't send your money men up here. I don't need your supervision. My men will cut. My men will ship them down the rivers. You can pick your logs down there. And Solomon sends 10,000 people up to Lebanon to oversee all the cutting down the trees and to manage it all. And he calls them supervisors of the work. And Hiram can't do anything about it because he's the lesser king. So basically, when Solomon says, hey, let's work out a deal, and they agree on a deal, Solomon decides he's going to violate the deal whenever he wants. And you can't do anything about it, because I'm more powerful. And so we're beginning to see an abuse of power. And I don't know if begin is like, this is the first moment, but begin as in we're in the early days. He's definitely been abusing power for a while, but now it's starting to be highlighted. So the first thing the narrator points out to you before the temple is even built is Solomon has forced labor, not good, and he's abusing his treaties and agreements and his word with other people. And this is the beginning of a great worship-building project. (laughs) Right? No. (laughs) And this is what the narrator's warning you on that. So he has officials now. Here's the thing, besides the 3,300 sorry, the 3,300 officials who supervise the worker, if you have 3,300 supervisors of forced labor, then how much forced labor do you have? That's a lot of people, especially in the ancient world. By royal order, they supply large, valuable stones in order to build the temple, the temple's foundation in chiseled stones. Solomon and Hiram's construction workers along with the men from Byblos, did the chiseling and prepared the wood and the stones for the building of the temple. Now, this Hiram right there is a different Hiram. This is a Hiram from Naphtalia. He's not the king. He's from the tribe of Naphtalia, which is up by the Sea of Galilee, on the left side, or the western side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's from Naphtalia. His mother, his one parent was a foreigner, and his other parent was a Naphtali. So he's an Israelite, and he's now put in charge of taking, now he doesn't design the temple, nor does Solomon. David designed the temple. So Hiram Hiram is in charge of taking the blueprints of David and all the forced labor of Solomon and they, I violated my treaty with Hiram and I'm sending my supervisors up to get the cedar and bring it all together to build the temple. So we have Hiram the king who's supplying cedars and Hiram who is building the temple. 
based on the blueprints. And so right now the narrator is telling you this is not good. This is not a good start. He's made a treaty with a foreign king. He's getting supplies for the temple from a foreigner through an illegal alliance. Not only that, he's violated his treaty and his word with that guy in order to get wood for the temple. Not only that, he has decided that he's going to force himself upon that king and overrule him, which is oppression. Not only that, he's got forced labor to build the temple of God. This temple building project has not started off well. It, is, it does not have good grassroots. It does not have grassroots. And then we'll talk about this next week. And on top of that, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said, don't build me a temple. I don't want one. If I wanted it, I would have asked for it. Garden of Eden is all over now. And remember, this is the whole point of the Bible. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the minute you see something really great about something, Noah was obedient and built the ark. Oh, now he's drunk, passed out naked. <laughs> Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now he's striking the rock and saying, I'm angry at you, must I do this? There's always a downfall of every great godly person because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the narrator is doing this intentionally because he wants you to recognize how unique Jesus is when he comes. And what makes this so amazing is the narrator doesn't even know that Jesus is coming. But the Holy Spirit that's guiding him does. The key to really, truly leading the Christian life successfully is one. You must truly appreciate how much of a deprived sinner you are. Those who have sinned much love much. If you excuse and rationalize your sin and your fallenness, if you do not really, really, truly realize how broken, how sinful, how corrupt, how evil your heart and your desires are, then you will not fall on your knees in total despair and cry out to God and surrender him. And you will not experience the full grace, love, and power of God. And yes, as an American, it sometimes is like, wow, this is really not positive thinking self-help book right now. But there's a reason for that. Because only in your truly utter brokenness will you truly appreciate when Christ shows up to redeem you. And how much you need the Holy Spirit in your life daily to get you through life. And so the Bible says you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And the key is to understand that I am a horrible, wretched, miserable sinner whose thoughts and desires are evil. But I was not designed nor created or purposed by God to be that. And I'm a child of God who loves me. And if I surrender in my brokenness to him, then he will redeem me back to what I was originally designed in the garden. And that's how you squelch your pride, but you also do not fall into low self-esteem and depression. And you can only do that by praying out to the Holy Spirit to help maintain that tension. Tension is impossible as humans. We pendulum swing. And the Bible's doing this because at the same time he's pointing out Solomon's failures, he's also highlighting God's love, grace, mercy, and redemption. And you need to hold those things both together if you're really going to cry out and depend upon God 
and really truly understand what he can do for you. Now, I know that's a big nutshell of that idea, and that theological idea is way deeper than that, but that's the gist of what the Bible is trying to communicate all through this. So, yes, it's a negative note, but it's a negative note meant to drive you into the arms of Jesus Christ. And if you see it that way, then we can know that we can boldly and confidently go to the throne of God to receive compassion, mercy, and grace. And that's the message of the Bible.